All right, so today we are in lesson 22 in our study of the Old Testament. And specifically, we've been looking at First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles, and we've entitled this series, The Days of the King. So we're in that section of Second Samuel where the information that we're going to see through the next few chapters is only found in Second Samuel. It is not referred to at all by the chronicler in First Chronicles. And he has his reasons for why he does that, but Samuel, the writer in Samuel, is wanting us to know really these tragic events, and they come out of, really as a result of, a consequence of, David's sin with Bathsheba. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these passages. We're going to focus in on chapters 13 and 14 today. We're going to talk about family tragedy because the biggest problems that David has is with his own family. Now, again, we're not going to read through these scriptures as we go through the passage because of time, but I would encourage you to read this on your own later on. In fact, I would definitely encourage you to read it. There's a lot of information here, and it's a worthy read as you see the reality of sin and what it can do to people. So the first chapter, 13, is really going to focus on Amnon, who is the oldest son of David, and David's daughter, Tamar, who is the sister of Absalom, who is also a son of David. When we get to chapter 14, you're going to see that the focus then is on Absalom, and you'll understand why as we go along. So let's, let's kind of look, first of all, together at chapter 13. So when you come to the first part of chapter 13, the very first couple verses, it kind of lets you know where things are at here. It's kind of not good. So here's what you're going to notice. David's son, Absalom, had a lovely sister named Tamar, and his brother Amnon loved her. Now, just so you understand what's going on here, Absalom and Amnon each have their own different mothers. They have one father, David. So these are half-brothers. And as half-brothers, they grow up together in the palace, but they have different mothers. Now, the Tamar is Absalom's full sister, so you understand what's going on here. So it's Amnon's half-sister. So Absalom has a very beautiful sister named Tamar, and the brother, Amnon, says he's in love with her or loved her very much. We're going to see a little bit later on that it's not necessarily love. Now, Amnon was so bothered by his love for Tamar since it was improper to do anything to her. Now, at this point in human history, it's not good for a brother to marry a sister. Which is what, if you remember when we went through Genesis, that's exactly what Abraham did when he married Sarah. Sarah was his half-sister. It was okay back then, but it's no longer okay in Israel. It's no longer allowed. And we understand that. There are, there are medical reasons as to why that should not be taking place. It was improper. But he was so bothered by his love for her. And I would actually try to say to you, probably it's not love. He's lusting after her. So Amnon's friend and cousin, so this is one of the boys of David's older brothers, helped him to devise a plan to get Tamar to come to him. This, this cousin's name is Jonadab, and we're going to see him referred to a little bit later on in the chapter. But right now, we see that, I guess, as, quote, good friends, they're trying to devise a plan to get her. It's not a good plan, but he's devising a plan with the king's son, his cousin, to get the king's daughter to be in his house. 
So let me just stop for a moment. We are not talking about Amnon being a teenager here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're not talking about teenagers here. We're talking about a young man who has his own house. Okay? Who has his own house. Now, she would be in the king's household. Why? Because we're going to find out later that she's a virgin daughter to the king. So she doesn't have her own place. She stays in her father's house. So what we see here is that this king's son, he's the eldest. By this point, he has his own place. So Amnon, here's what the plan was. Amnon pretended to be sick on his bed and requested that his father send Tamar to him. Now, you and I, when we would read that, we were like, you know what, you're sick. That's just kind of weird. Well, I don't know. For some reason, he was able to get away with that in their culture. So he pretends to be sick. Well, he's kind of lovesick or lovesick, so to speak. Convinces his dad, send me Tamar to care for my needs or to feed me. Okay? And David, I guess not assuming anything, says okay. The next thing we're going to see here is, is that David sent his daughter to prepare food for Amnon. So David, not thinking anything above it, about it, says, hey, I want you to go over. You prepare the food for your brother. He's not feeling well. You do what you have to do. Now, it's not, this probably is not something that's unusual in their time, sending a female over to do this. So it, it seems odd to us, but maybe it's not in their culture. So I just want you to understand, all right? Now, when she's there preparing food, Amnon devised a way to get Tamar to serve him food alone. So somehow, the text will tell you he gets the servants to leave, because they have servants, so they're not at home alone. They get the servants to leave, and so she brings him the food in his, wherever his bed is, as he's lying sick on the bed. She brings the food to him alone. So nobody else is there. All right, nobody else is there. Now, here's where it gets really bad. When she came to him, he invited her to have sex with him. Now, the text doesn't say, have sex with me. It says, sleep with me, which is really much a euphemism for having sex. So he invites her to have sex with him. All right? Invites her to have sex with him. And she objects. Of course she would. She would say this is wrong, and that's exactly what she did. She objected to his proposal since it was a disgraceful thing in Israel. All right, why would it be disgraceful? First of all, the law forbade it. You were not to have sex outside of marriage. It was only in marriage that you were allowed to have a sexual relationship. It was forbidden for sex within your own family. It was already written. Remember, those things Moses talked about, the result being stoning. So this is something that she says, no, we can't do this. This is a disgraceful thing in Israel. Now, when you read the text, what she does next will probably cause some of you to want to scratch your head. You're probably going to wonder, well, what's her motives in this? Because why is she offering this? Well, that's because we're looking at it from our 21st century North American perspective. But that's not true in their day. You know, for us, marriage is an arrangement of love, so to speak. We date someone, we marry them. That was not true back then. Back then, oftentimes it was the brother who made the marriage arrangements for you to marry somebody else, and it's not somebody that you fell in love with. It was some that the families agreed, and you ended up into that marriage relationship. So here's what she says to him. She suggested that he ask their father for her. So rather than, okay, so you're thinking, well, why is she doing that? Well, she doesn't want to do something that's wrong, that's disgraceful. 
Rather, she's giving him an out. She's saying to him, you ask dad, he will do it. Rather than this disgraceful thing taking place. So don't, don't in any way diminish her. He's not doing right. She's trying to find a way out of the situation. So here's what happens next. Amnon did not heed her and forcibly raped her. The text will tell you that he was bigger than her and he forced her. Folks, that's rape. He raped his sister. He used his size. He used that he was bigger than her and he raped her. And it was a very tragic thing that's taking place here. In fact, you're going to see that it's tragic by the way that she responds. Okay? By the way that she responds. And we're going to see that response here in a moment. So already we're seeing now tragedy striking the house of David. Okay? The house of David where the son rapes the daughter. Are you kidding me? Yes, this is taking place. Now, here's what happens, and this is why we know it's not love that Amnon was feeling. Rather, it was lust. After raping her, Amnon now hated her and threw her out of his home. So after he raped her, forced himself upon her, the text says that he told her to leave. Well, she didn't want to leave because she's been disgraced now, but he has his servants throw her out. This is really despicable, isn't this? This is his sister. He just raped her, but it says he hates her. Why? Well, probably he maybe is realizing that he did something disgraceful, blaming her, which usually happens here, doesn't it? Blaming the victim, throws her out. So disgraced and humiliated, she tore her robe of virginity and put ashes on her head. Now the text will tell you that she had a robe of many colors which were worn by the king's virgin daughters. So these were robes that really signified that his daughters were virgins. These were like signs that these are virgins. So she tore that robe because now she's disgraced because she's no longer a virgin. She's been raped. And then she does what they did in their culture when they're grieving and mourning is they put ashes on their head. And that's exactly what she did. She put ashes on her head. She tore her robes, her virgin robes, and tore, put ashes on her heads. It's not a good situation here. So what does she do? She uh, goes to her brother Absalom. Text tells you that she goes to Absalom's home. So her brother Absalom cared for her and she remained desolate in his house. So what does she do? She, she goes there. She tells him what's going on. Well, actually, he figures it out. When you read the text, it says, Amnon did this to you, didn't he? Well, what does that mean? Well, it kind of tells you that Amnon is the one who basically was maybe showing some signs of interest in her and Absalom, the brother, could see that. And because he sees that, he's, he's kind of aware that something's going on there. And when she comes and says she was raped, he immediately says, oh, it's Amnon, isn't it? He did this to you. Now you just stay here and you be quiet. And so the text gives you the implication that she then remained in Absalom's home, which it would be natural for her to do because that's her brother, her full brother, and she remained desolate there in his house. Now, the text then tells you something that I think is very tragic. It tells you how David responds. Now, at first, when you read it, you're like, yeah, of course he would be. But it also implies something else. So let's talk about how he responded. And then let's talk about the implication of what he did. All right, so first of all, when David heard what had happened to Tamar, he was very angry 
and he did nothing. So his first reaction is anger. Of course he would be. I'm a dad. I would be angry. I would be livid. But the next thing is, it's implied by the text, he didn't do anything about it. What would he have done about it? Well, the law required that if that took place, Amnon had to marry her. That wasn't even discussed there. Another thing the law required maybe is for Amnon to be killed in punishment of this for doing such a disgraceful thing. Nothing happens. Do you see a blind spot here with David? And what you see happening here is actually going to be reflected as we get further along in 2 Samuel. David's got a weak spot. Our hero is human. And he's not perfect. And he's definitely not a perfect dad. So we see that here. So the text then tells you that Absalom hated Amnon in his heart because of what he did to Tamar. So he hated, he just hated him. He was angry and despised him. Bitterness is growing in his heart. That's what happens when you have anger that you don't deal with. He becomes so angry because of what Amnon did to his sister. He hates him. Well, the text goes on, and it kind of tells you that what happens next isn't something that happened immediately afterwards. The writer now jumps forward in time. What do you mean in time? Well, when you read the text, it tells you this. After two full years, Absalom hosted a feast to celebrate the time of sheep shearing. So again, Absalom is of the age, and we're going to see this in a little bit when we talk about Absalom here a little bit further in detail when we get to where he is referred to in chapter 14. He's, he's a man at this point. He has his own household, and not just has, has his own household, he has holdings. So he obviously, because he's the king's son, has flocks of sheep. And so it's time for the sheep shearing, the text will tell you, and he wants to host a feast, which was normal. Remember, that's when David had his encounter with Nabal the fool. Remember, he sent messengers to Nabal to, to get something from the festivities for his men because of their protection of Nabal's flocks. And remember, of course, the story that Nabal rejected that and David was going to go kill him, but Abigail intervened. God struck Nabal dead soon after. Well, here we are. It's now two full years since the incident with Tamar. And it's at the time of sheep shearing, and Absalom has a feast or a celebration. The text goes on and tells you now that he invited his father, the king, to attend, but David declined. Not anything out of the ordinary. Hey, Dad, I'm throwing a party. Can you come? Nah, son, I'm busy. Can't do it. David declined. So here's what happens next. Absalom then requested Amnon to attend. Hey, Dad, can you send Amnon to my party? He's the oldest son. Which, let's be honest, in their hierarchy of the way things were done, the eldest son held a position of prominence in the family. So if dad, the king, can't come, then maybe Amnon, the eldest son, can come. And that would be an honorable thing. And so they're back and forth about that. And so Absalom then requested Amnon to attend, which David allowed with their other brothers. So it ends up ending up with the reality that Yes, Amnon can come, and so will all the other brothers. And there was a bunch of other brothers there. Remember, David's got many wives and concubines. So they have this feast, and they're all attending. Now, everything seems okay up to this point until you continue on, and the text tells you that Absalom devised a plan to kill Amnon 
when he was drunk with wine. I, I like it how the text says when he is merry with wine. When he's intoxicated. So Absalom devises this plan. He tells them when he is merry with wine, he tells his servants, you will kill him. You will slay him. Oh. So now we see really the fruit of Absalom's anger. Remember, he was angry. He hated him two years before of what he did to Tamar. And up to this point, David didn't do anything. But now Absalom has waited his time. And here's the opportunity. Everyone would have forgotten anything, so to speak. We'll see in a moment that somebody else realizes what's going on. But he says, okay, when he's married, when he's not, when he's kind of to himself, inebriated, kill him. And that's exactly what happens. Amnon was killed as the other sons of David escaped on their mules. So as they're having this festivity and all of that, the servants come, they kill Amnon. And while he's being killed, the rest of the brothers, the sons of David, hightail it out of there, get on, the text says, on their own mules and get out of there, heading back where? To Jerusalem. They're running for their lives. Now, you and I know that Amnon's target is Amnon. Excuse me. Absalom's target is Amnon. It's not the other brothers, but they don't know that. If you're at a party and somebody's getting killed, you're wondering, am I next? You're out of there. And that's what's going on here. As the remaining sons were fleeing, David heard that Absalom had killed all of his sons. So I don't know how it is, but somehow, so first of all, they don't have phones back then. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't even have the internet. Uh, somehow, word got to Jerusalem, maybe by a runner, maybe by somebody fleeing the scene who gets there before the other brothers do. And that may have been one of the first people to get out of there because they're running for their own lives. But they get back to Jerusalem and they tell David, Absalom's killed all of your boys. So at this point, David thinks all of his sons are dead. Killed by his son, Absalom. So here's how he responds. David tore his clothes. Again, that's what they do when they're grieving. You see that even in Jesus' day. They tore their, tore their clothes as a sign of grief. Tore his clothes in mourning and lay on the ground. We've seen David do that before. When he's mourning and grieving, tears his clothes, lays on the ground. And the scripture tells us that the servants who were with him tore their clothes in mourning as well. So listen, I'm explaining something to you. Their culture is a little bit different than our culture. Mourning was a public community thing. And so when someone would mourn, everyone around them would mourn as well. They would join in the mourning. We're so individualistic in our society, we don't understand that. We usually let people grieve by themselves. In this culture, they grieve together. And so everybody there is assuming that all of the boys are dead. Everyone is assuming that. Well, Jonadab, remember Jonadab? Jonadab was, remember the, the uh, son of David's older brother who is also a friend to Amnon? He's the guy that helped Amnon come up with this plan to... Uh, get Tamar into the house. So he's not exactly Lily White here. I'll just be honest with you. But the text tells us that Jonadab, David's nephew, told the king that only Amnon was killed in revenge for Tamar. Now, you and I are probably wondering, how does he know that? Well, Maybe he's putting two and two together and he's figuring out what's going on here. Oh, this is because of that thing that happened. Or maybe he was there at the party as well 
And he got back to Jerusalem first. Remember, because there would be people streaming out of there to get back. But he's trying to calm the king down, and he tells the king, it's only Amnon who's dead, and it was in revenge for what happened to Tamar. Now, David would know exactly what happened to Tamar. Why? Because he'd already heard that Amnon had raped her before. Now, he, he told the king not to grieve for all of his sons, since only Amnon was dead. This guy's got some very specific information when you read the text. He's telling David, don't weep for your boys. They're okay. It's only Amnon who's dead. Only Amnon. So then the scripture tells us, just real briefly, the writer records that Absalom fled. That's all it says. So after killing Amnon, the other brothers hightailing it, uh, all it says is, is Absalom got out of there. He left. He fled. Now, when you're reading it, I'll be honest with you, when you're reading, especially in the New King James, it, it's like, okay, he fled, and then the next statement, where does that come from? It seems like a, it's like a pushing something together. Well, it's changing back to Jerusalem now. It's, it's up at the party, wherever that was. Absalom flees. Then the text tells you, the next thing, which is about a young man. So it's not Amnon, it's, excuse me, Absalom that it's talking about here. So it's about a lookout, a young man who's serving as a lookout, probably on the walls of Jerusalem. So a young lookout saw many people coming from the hillside. So probably a young guy serving in the Israeli army there, the army of Israel, looks out and he looks on the hillside and he sees people coming. Probably, we know, they're riding on mules, so he sees people fleeing to the city, okay? Sees people fleeing to the city. So then, here's where Jonadab comes in again. Jonadab stated, the king's sons were coming as he said so earlier. So Jonah said, here they are. Just like I told you, they're okay. The sons arrived and wept loudly with the king and all of his servants. Yeah, you can. It, it's almost natural, isn't it? You're in a party. You're enjoying the festivities of the sheep sharing time. They're merry with their wine. Before you know it, your older brother who is prominent among the brothers, is being attacked by the servants and killed. You're hightailing it out there, thinking for your life, hopping on a mule, running back to Jerusalem, however mile, many miles that is. You get there, and the adrenaline is, is, is leaving your body, and you just cry out in anguish because of the whole experience. Not just because of the death of Amnon, but because of the whole experience. So they wept loudly, and the king joins in, and not just the king, the text tells you the servants join in and cry out loudly. Why? Again, their culture is such that grief was expressed corporately, community-wide, at the tragedy that has happened. So then the text goes back to Absalom. Because you remember, I told you earlier, it says that he fled. Well, where did he go? Well, Absalom fled to the king of Gersher, and David mourned for him. The king of Gersher. Now, that's a Canaanite king living in the land that has not been wiped out yet at this point. But remember, why would he go to Gersher? Well, that's because... His mother was from Gersher. And he's running back to his mother's family, who is royalty. And so he runs to the safest place he can go, his mother's family. Because it's not safe for him to be with his dad's family, which is where? In Jerusalem, the king's family. Why? He would have to pay the price for killing his brother. 
So he goes back, flees to the king of Gersher. Gesher. Now, here's what it says now, that Absalom remained in Gesher for three years. So again, when you're reading the story, we're only talking about two chapters here, all right? When you're reading the story, this is not like boom, 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 these things are happening one right after the other. We're seeing time go by in these two chapters. We're seeing the rape of Tamar, then two years later, the murder of Amnon in revenge for what happened to Damar. Absalom runs to Gesher. He stays there for three years. So at this point, by the end of the three years, it's been five years before that the rape has taken place. Okay? The rape has taken place. And then it tells you that David had longed to go to Absalom because he had been comforted concerning Amnon's death. Well, after a period of time in his mourning for his oldest son, David now longs for his son Absalom. Now, you might be saying to yourself, you know what, come on, are you serious, George? This boy killed his other boy. Yes, but this is a dad. And he loves his sons, even when they do wrong. And this one definitely did wrong. But he still loved his son. In fact, I'm going to explain something to you. When we get, in a few weeks from now, we get to the final point in this tragedy involving Absalom and King David, you're going to see that David really did love Absalom, even though it doesn't turn out very good for Absalom. And we'll talk about that later. Okay? Now, let's go on. So that brings us then to chapter 14. Because at chapter 14, we're three years later. Because remember I said that Absalom stayed in Gesher for three years. So now we come to chapter 14, and we see another guy that we've known before, which uh, he kind of sounds like a good guy, but then we see a lot of times later that he's not necessarily a good guy, and that is Joab. Remember, the commander of the army of Israel and David's cousin? So at the beginning of chapter 14, Joab perceived that David was concerned about Absalom. So somehow, probably in his interaction with the king, I mean, they are family. The reality is that, actually, they're his nephews. Remember, they, their mother is David's sister. Okay, so these are his nephews. And they, he perceives that his uncle is grieving for Absalom. So he decides to do something. So here's what he does. He brought a wise woman from Tekoa in order to speak with the king. So he, he looks for a wise woman. He finds one from Tekoa in order to come to the king and talk with him about this situation. And, and so here's what he does. He had the woman wear clothes of a mourner who has grieved for a long time. So when you were mourning, you would wear certain type of clothes. That was very true even in our culture up until a few years ago. Normally widows would wear black in their mourning. It's not true very much today in our society now. But in their day, there would be clothes that those who mourned would wear. But he's wanting to make a point that she's not just wearing mourning clothes She's had these mourning clothes on for a while, meaning whatever has happened in her life has been going on for a while. So besides dressing her, he's going to tell her what to say. So Joab told her the exact words for her to speak to David. Isn't that interesting? So Joab's figured this out. He knows, he knows his uncle. He knows what he needs to say. 
He knows how to get to David, how to get him to respond. So he tells her exactly what she needs to say. So she comes to the king, which is what they would do. Now, why? You're like, okay, so here's a woman dressed in mourning clothes, mourning. Why? How? I mean, what do you mean she goes and sees the king? Because you think about it in our country, nobody can just go see the president. All right, doesn't matter who the president is. As long as I've been alive, you just don't decide, hey, I'm going to go see the president. See, I got something I want to talk to him about. You don't do that in our culture, in our world. And in, in probably in most worlds today. But in that day, typically the kings would settle a dispute of some sort. They would render judgment to settle a dispute. So this woman goes to the king to settle a dispute. And so she's going to give her story. So the woman came to the king seeking justice from her family. That's why she says she's there. She wants justice from whatever her family is going to do to her, she tells you in the beginning of her story. Really, the next thing you see is she stated that she had two sons and one killed the other. Now, she doesn't give any text, doesn't give you any details. They were out in the field. One of them end, ends up dead. No other details are given. Writer does not seem that, does not think it's important for you to know the other details. She maybe didn't give them or he doesn't think it's important. You just need to know there are two boys, two sons of hers. One kills the other. The family... Now, who would the family be? Well, it's probably his, the husband's family. The family demanded his execution for the life that was taken. So remember, the Old Testament taught eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And even in cases of manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter, remember, there would be a demand that whoever killed someone else, it would be demanded in the laws of retribution that that person be killed as well. In fact, remember, that's why they have the Levitical cities. Because if you accidentally killed someone, remember, according to the law, you had to run, typically a day's journey or more, to a Levitical city, and you had to remain there for your safety until the high priest's death. Now that was what was governing their thinking. So the family, rightfully so, is demanding the law of retribution here and saying, this boy has to die for the other boy's death. He killed him, he needs to pay the price. A law of retribution. Now, she points out that this would create a problem. Okay? This would result in there being no heir to carry on her husband's name. Now remember, remember it's a big thing in Israel at this time to carry on your inheritance. Remember that? We've talked about that when we went through the Old Testament law, when they received the inheritance, they would receive a portion and that portion would be given on to the generations to carry on the family name. And she's pointing out that if he dies, she has no other sons to carry on the family name and the name of her husband would be forgotten. That's a big thing in their culture. That's a big thing in the mind of the Jews at this time. Carrying on the family name and the inheritance. So this adds to the problem. So it's not just an issue of retribution, because if they kill this boy, there's a problem then with the inheritance going on. So she's making this point. So David obviously is sympathetic to her, but he's busy. So what does he do? The text tells you he told her to return to her house and he would send orders concerning her case. Basically, he does what most guys would do today. It's like, okay, I got the information. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you. You go back. I'll send you what I'm doing. That's what he's doing here. 
He's telling her, I've heard your case. I'll make a decision. I'll let you know what the decision is. Now, that's giving her insurance that the king's going to do something. But you just need to go on home now. I'll take care of it. And you say, okay, well, that must be the end of the story. Nope. It's not the end of the story. She's a wise woman. Here's what she does. The woman continues to press her case with the king further. In fact, she continues to press it on and on. She's wanting to be sure that he's going to make a judgment now, not later, now. So she's pressing the issue. She's being persistent. So David finally expressed that no hair on her son's head would be harmed. Boom, that's it. He finally says to her, not one hair on his head is going to be harmed. Don't worry. Don't worry. You would say, okay, well, that finally settles it. Yes, that would, if that were the real reason why she was coming. Remember, she's been told to go do this by Joab. So she's probably been paid money to do this. And the reason is because of Absalom. And so you're going to see, it's interesting when you read the text, what happens now in her discussion. So the woman then politely challenges David concerning bringing Absalom home. Whoa, what do you mean? Well, she's saying, okay, if you would do this for my son because of this situation where he killed his brother, why haven't you done this for your own boy? Why haven't you brought him home yet? What makes my situation better than your own situation? If your judgment in my situation is such, why aren't you doing this in your own situation? Whoa, she's got David now, hasn't she? She's got him. David perceives what's going on. So David then asks if Joanne has put her up to her coming before him. Somehow, David figures out, I've been had, and I think this has something to do with Joab. Hey, did Joab put you up to this? That's what you see happening here. It's amazing. He perceives what's going on. So she's caught now, okay? She's caught, so what do you do? The king's asking you, did Joab do this? How do you respond? Oh, no, no, no. No, she's going to answer. What? So the woman admitted that Joab was involved. Of course she would. Because it wouldn't take long to figure out that she's not telling the truth. She's not really a widow. It wouldn't take long for that to be figured out at all. Well, so she's going to admit that, yes, this is because of Joab. So David has Joab go and bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. So you see this now. Of course, you know, Joab praises David for doing this, but he probably gets on his donkey, goes up to Gesher and brings Absalom back home to Jerusalem to his own house. Now, you say, okay, well, everything's back to normal. No, no, not back to normal. Because notice what David does next. However, David would not personally see Absalom. Now, the text keeps saying it this way. David would not allow Absalom to see his face. Now, what, what does that mean in, in our kind of talking? Well, he doesn't allow Absalom to be in his presence. He doesn't allow Absalom to have an entrance with David. He doesn't allow Absalom to be in his presence at all. So bring him back, but I don't want to see him. Okay, so I want you to think about the timeline. So you have the rape, okay, the rape. Two years later, Absalom kills Amnon, flees to Gesher, stays there for three years up until this point, 
where David has him go, Joab go, and bring him back to Jerusalem. Just so you know that things are flowing, even though it's in the same chapter, there's some time being expressed here. Here's what the writer then tells you. The writer notes that, first of all, before that, that Absalom was popular in Israel because of his good looks. So, first thing you're going to find out about Absalom is, is he's pretty popular among the Israeli people because he looks good. It says his body did not have a blemish. It's not the only thing that was going on with Absalom. He had a wonderful head of hair. He had long hair that he cut once a year because it was too heavy for him. <laughs> That's kind of wild to think about that. The guy lets his hair grow so long, so it must have been a thick head of hair. And because it was weighing down on him, he would cut his hair once a year. And the scripture tells you how much that hair weighed, meaning it was a lot of hair. And he was very popular. Text also tells you that we're not just talking about a teenage boy here. We're talking about somebody who was a lot older because he had three sons and a daughter whose name was also Tamar. So he had a daughter who he named after his sister who he loved very much, the sister who had been raped. But then now, the text tells you, again, the time frame. Absalom spent two years in Jerusalem and never saw his father the king. So again, remember, the rape, two years later, the murder, Three years later, he's in Gesher, comes to Jerusalem. The text now tells you two years after that. So now we are at seven years since the rape, five years since the murder, and he's not seen his dad at all. The text is showing you he's not seen his dad. And of course, this frustrates Absalom. Okay, this frustrates him. So he decides he wants to see his dad, but how do you get to see his dad? Well, you go to the guy that brought you home, and that's Joab. So he tried to get Joab to come to him in order to see his father. So the text makes it very clear that he tries to send a messenger. He sends a messenger or a servant over to Joab and requests that Joab come to his house, which, by the way, Joab doesn't do. Not once, but twice. Joab's avoiding him. Now, I don't understand that because obviously Joab is the one that got him to come back, but at this point something must be going on in their family dynamic here that Joab wants nothing to do with Absalom. That's no longer an issue to him. And uh, But it is to Absalom. So after two attempts that Joab ignored, Absalom burned Joab's field. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So the text tells you that right near the property or the home of Absalom is a field that is owned by Joab. Now remember, at this point, they are still an agrarian culture. So their holdings would be in land and the produce of the land and the flocks. So Absalom decides, I can't get his attention. This will get his attention. He sends his servants over to burn his wheat or barley field. That'll get his attention. <laughs> of course it did. This brought Joab to Absalom to confront him about the burnt field. Of course, now Joab is definitely coming over. Why would you do that? Because now you're talking about the loss of finances, folks. We're talking about costing him something, and of course he's going to come over and confront Absalom. And Absalom confronts him. Absalom expressed his frustration about not seeing the king. In fact, he goes on and he says in the text, I should have just stayed in Gesher. You should have never brought me from Gesher to here. Because I've been here two years now and I've not seen my dad. I've not seen my father. Wow. So again, Joab. So Joab went to David, who in turn called 
for Absalom. So something in that conversation provoked Joab to go to David. He then gets David convinced that you need to see your son. So David calls for him. So when Absalom appeared before the king, he bowed himself down and David kissed him. That's the last verse of chapter 14. It seems like everything's okay now, isn't it? Yet, it isn't, is it? Because what we're seeing now is some chinks in the armor of David. We're seeing tragedy happening here. We're seeing his own daughter raped. He doesn't do anything about that. We're seeing his oldest son who raped his daughter murdered by another brother. He doesn't do anything about that. And it's tragic. Chapter 14 seems like everything's going to go okay. But now we're ready to go to chapter 15, which is where we'll begin next week. And remember what the text told us already? That Absalom is very popular in Israel? Well, that's preparing you for something. And it's preparing you for a, a conspiracy. A conspiracy that would ultimately drive David from Jerusalem. And we're going to start looking at that next week.